today's message is entitled Digger, Digging Deeper. During these pandemic crises, I've heard people mention that they feel like their whole world has been turned around. With borders closed, travel being discouraged, meetings being restricted with the social distancing and all of the other restrictions that have been implemented in our government, lives have been disrupted. Some people have mentioned that with all of the scheduling changes and restrictions, they no longer feel like they're even living in a free country. They don't know what to do anymore. They don't know how to make their, account, their time account for something because it seems like there's restrictions on so much of what they would like to do. They feel like they're stuck at home. They feel their time has become a waste. Well, I believe if we want to redeem our time that we're going to need to prepare it, use it to prepare for what's ahead. That God is calling us to use this time to prepare ourselves. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is taking place in the earth right now. Thousands upon thousands of people are turning to Christ right now. You know, you hear about the music fest that they're having in the public. You hear about the different things. You hear about the baptisms that are taking place. People are coming to Jesus in huge amounts. In fact, some people are even saying it might well be a revival that is hitting the earth right now. Well, we're going to need a church that is ready to disciple and to train new converts if Jesus should tarry. There's no sense having a lot of people coming to know Jesus if there's nobody there to help them grow in their Christian walk. There's no sense having a lot of babies if there's nobody there to help raise them. <clears throat> We're going to need a church that's going to be able to deny itself and focus on the harvest of the souls. And I believe that might be one of the biggest things that God is trying to teach his church during these times. You know, the church has been very much, many people in the church, I should say, has been very much focused on me. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as my seat is fairly good, as long as the heat is on and it's not too hot, as long as the parking lot is smooth enough that I can walk across, as long as there's nothing this, as long, you know, as long as I'm getting my needs met, then I'm happy with the church. When I have my place staked out and everybody knows which is my place and when everybody treats me with the proper amount of respect and nobody goes ahead and does things that irritate me, then I'm okay. Life is great. When we have new people come in, we don't always get that. Sometimes when people come into the church for the first, they're not trained in Christianese. They don't understand the language. What do you want? Get deeper. How do you get higher? <laughs> what about this blood stuff? See, when people come to church, they're not always familiar with all the terminology that we as Christians banter and throw back and forth. This is stuff that we've already learned and we know what we mean when we say it. Press in. Be free. And you go, okay, we know. But they don't. And sometimes it takes time to help interpret for some people what it is you're talking about in the church. Oh, we're going to drink the blood of the lamb and eat the body of Christ. Yeah, that sounds normal. Or not. 
And yet we end up doing these things. You know, the church is going to have to be ready to remember that it's not all about me. It's about trying to make the people that are coming into church, let them know that we are a welcoming group of people, that we love them, and that we would love to help them meet the needs that they don't even necessarily know that they have. That we are there for them, that we want to help them. A church that will be able to deny itself. And you know, that's actually scriptural. I mentioned that to somebody else last week when they were busy talking about the Mass and how much the Mass bothered them and how this and that. And they were just so upset and they are on and on and on and on. And I says, and as we all know, the Gospel is all about trying to make us comfortable. <laughs> it was sort of quiet for a while. I says, well, Jesus didn't mean that part about deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't mean that. Paul didn't mean it when he said, therefore be a living sacrifice on the altar. See, we've come to a point where often we think the whole gospel is about me, and as long as I am comfortable, as long as I am getting what I want, then everything is great, and yet Jesus really has said that we should be rejoicing when things aren't going our way. It says, therefore rejoice in your tribulation. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Rejoice in our tribulation. That's really what the Bible says. I wonder how many of us, and I have to include myself with this, how many of us have taken time to say, Father, I want to thank you for everything that the government is doing right now, which feels so restrictive. I thank you, Father, that you are still God and that you have still delivered me and that you are, have not changed. I thank you, Father, that even though the government is doing the best that the wisdom of man can figure out, that you have given us a wisdom that is higher than all of this, that you have given us a wisdom that is greater. So we choose, Father, to rejoice in you because you have not changed. How much time do we spend complaining about stuff we can't do anything about instead of about worshiping the God that has already done it all for us? What a waste of time. It is foolishness to think that everything is going to return back to being the same as it has always been. It won't. We have stepped into another level of fulfilling the prophecies concerning the return of Christ. When we look right now and we read the Bible and we see what the Bible says about the times of Christ's return, we recognize how much closer we stepped. We now have time to rethink our strategies and learn how to minister in a way that will be effective and relevant to the people of today. We have time at home. We're being restricted with the amount of visiting we can do. We're being restricted on how much family is supposed to be coming over. And we would have this time now either to redeem this time and make it useful, or we can use this time as a waste of time and allow it to be kind of grumbling and complaining and murmuring and all those other things that God doesn't like. But it's our choice. We're going to have to learn to hear God's voice so clearly that when he asks us to do the things that seem strange in the natural, we are ready to hear and respond. See, God's ideas don't always make sense to our natural mind, and I want to look at one of the biblical examples this morning. In 2 Kings chapter 3, it gives us the account of three kings that found themselves unprepared. 
Jehoram, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and the king of Edom had agreed to join forces and march off against their enemies, march off into the desert to fight Moab. After only seven days, they realized that they were out of water. They're in the desert, they're out of water. The men and the animals have nothing to drink. Now, the response of King Jehoram, of course, can be almost considered a typical response today. He is not listening to or serving the living God, but immediately he starts blaming God for their problems. How often do we hear that with people today? They want nothing to do with God, then when something goes wrong, it's God's fault. But why is God able to do all the nasty things to you, but none of the good stuff then? See, I hear people complaining about Christians. Well, Christians are so miserable. They're this, they're that, they're judgmental. They're on, on, oh, the list goes on. Except when as soon as something comes, it's the Christians they turn to for help. Why? Because we are noted for helping. Most of the institutions in this country were founded by Christians. Hospitals, schools of learning, higher schools of learning, churches, relief organizations. It's like somebody said the other day, if socialism is so great, then why don't we see people trying to leave Canada and go live in a socialist country? Why don't we see people leaving Canada and going to live in Muslim countries? If that's also great. They're coming here. Why? They recognize it so much better. So King Jehoram starts immediately blaming God, saying it's God's fault. But King Jehoshaphat understands God and is familiar with his power. So in verse 11, he says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So he recognizes he's going to need to hear somebody that knows God. He's going to need to hear from somebody that hears the voice of God. So he says, Is there no prophet anywhere? Now one of the servants is able to direct him to the prophet Elijah. And far too often, people want to ignore God until something goes wrong, and then they want to start blaming him. And that's pretty well exactly what happened with Jehoram. But Jehoshaphat immediately turns and says, there's got to be somebody that knows God. There's got to be somebody that can hear God. It's not enough want. It's not enough to want to ask God what his will or way is. They want to blame him. Not enough to ask God what his will or what his way is until something has gone wrong. So they won't accept counsel. See, so many people are so focused, they want to hear God now because things are going wrong, but they don't want to hear what God has to say. When God says repent, we don't want to repent. See, repent means we turn away. Repent means we turn from. We start a different direction. And yet we don't want to repent. We want to keep doing exactly what we've been doing, except we want God to bless it for some reason and make us think that it's okay. See, we want to live under the blessing of God while we're serving Satan. And we can't figure out why those two don't want to meet. And then when a pastor or a priest or a prophet comes along and says, this has got to change, we don't want to hear that. Why? Because it's becoming something that we've enjoyed rather than turn around and say it's no longer beneficial. So they approach Elisha, and Elisha makes it pretty clear right away off the bat that he is not interested in having anything to do with Jehoram. In fact, he goes so far as to say, if Jehoshaphat wasn't here, I wouldn't give you the time of day. But I like Jehoshaphat. <laughs> it's pretty brave words for a prophet talking to a king. 
2 Kings 3, 13 and 14. But after he agrees to see what God was instructing them to do, he calls for a musician. The musician starts playing. The word of the Lord came through Elisha. And that's where I want to pick up this story today. 2 Kings 3, 16 to 20. And he, Elisha, said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He also will deliver the Moabites into your hands. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. <coughs> the scripture came out in prayer this morning, and the thing was mentioned, like what would have happened if, the, if they hadn't dug ditches? What would have happened if they had said, no, we're not going to do our part? So what's going on? The kings are in the desert. Another way of saying that is they're in a dry place. Now, I've heard a lot of Christians complaining during this pandemic, and they complain about being in a dry place and having their rights trampled on. Well, the kings were in a low place. A recent report said that addictions were up. I read this just the other day, released by Teresa Tam, Chief Medical Officer of Canada. The addictions were up. More people were struggling with mental health issues. More people were dying. Well, that sounds like a low place. That sounds like people are in a low place when they're turning to drugs and alcohol, when they're not able to keep control of their own minds. But in the middle of this low, dry place, God says, dig ditches. Now, that sounds almost as ridiculous as saying, build an ark to someone who's never seen rain. You're in the desert. Go dig ditches. Now, if you are one of the people who has ever had the privilege of digging ditches, then you know that digging ditches is hard work at any time. When the ground is hard and dry, it only becomes harder. But on top of that, these men were thirsty. They were out of water. But in spite of all these contrary circumstances, they followed the Lord's direction as given by the prophet. They dug that valley full of ditches, and then the next morning those ditches were filled with water, just like God had said. Now, if they had chosen not to work together with God, if they had been, like we have many charismatics today, and sat down and said, we're going to pray and God will dig the ditches, they would have gone thirsty. They may have died there. That may very well have been the end of the story, and we would have heard how the Moabites ended up taking over all of the land because their kings and their soldiers were gone. See, when God gives you a word, that's not something to pray about, that's something to do. And yet too many times we want to spend time praying about the things that God has already told us to do. You know, the Bible is full of different things. It's written down just so that we can read it. We don't even need a whole bunch of spiritual discernment for when the Bible says something to be obedient to what the Word of God says. We can say, this is what God has said. We're doing it. And yet we would rather sit back and pray 
We think we sound spiritual. We sound ignorant. Well, I saw that, you know, pastor had that message, but I'm going to pray about this. If it's from the Word of God, you don't need to pray about it. You need to do it. Flee fornication. Well, I'll pray about that. <laughs> Bring in the tithe. Well, I'm going to pray because I don't really think. Some stuff you don't need to pray about. You need to do. Why? Because otherwise when those water comes, your ditches are empty. When that outpouring is released, you have nothing. You may get a little bit of a time of refreshing, but there's nothing to carry you through the next time. These armies did not need enough water to get one glass of water. They needed enough to feed their animals. They needed or to drink their, drink their animals? Water their animals. They needed enough so they would be able to drink for themselves. They needed enough to water the animals. They needed enough to water the cattle. They had no water. Now, if you know cows, they're not happy with one drink. They're going to want more and more. And the next day before they leave, they're going to want to drink again. They had to have enough of a reservoir built up that they were able to have some left over. God has never called his people to keep walking in the desert where it is going from miracle to miracle. God wants his people to have the storehouses that are filled. He wants us to have those houses. He wants us to have those wells where we can go to the storehouse, where we can go to the well, we can get what is needed, and we can use it. In the desert, the nation of Israel went from miracle to miracle. Every day they got up and they had to get fresh manna. But after they came to the promised land, God says, now you are going to be reaping crops. You are going to be putting stuff into warehouses. You are going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. Now you are going to have not only enough for today, but enough to plan down the road. If you're only digging your manna every morning, you have nothing for the stranger that comes by your door. Why? Because if you got extra manna, it got worms in it. You could get enough for you and your family for that day, and that was it. That was never the way God has planned on his people to live. God's people are supposed to be ready to distribute. The house of bread should have bread to give. And yet so often we don't have anything to give because we're still living in the desert ourselves. Now there's a time of going through the desert. Everybody goes through the desert. That's one of the first tests God will ever put anybody through. The almost enough time. And most people will make it through the desert faithfully. It's when they get to the plan of plenty that they have trouble. Because now all of a sudden when we have enough and we have more than enough, we don't need to be spending our time pursuing the word of God anymore. Now we have enough and we have more enough and now we want to disappear. And, you know, church, well, church was pretty good and it's good and I, and I, and I value it and I, and I think it's important, but summers are short. I work with people all day, a week, as you know. I have different clients. I can remember one of my clients, and they were elders in their church. They told, oh, no, since summertime, we don't go to church. Our summers are too short. And I thought, and you're leaders in the church. And we wonder what has happened to the church. 
But the test of prosperity is much harder to pass than the test of poverty. See, in the test of poverty, you have no choice. Church is your outing. Oh, I get to get out of the house finally. <laughs> test of prosperity, now you have to choose if this is really that important or not. Because now you have options. I'm off track, but I know what I'll get back here somehow. <clears throat> so a lot of times we feel like we're in those low places. We feel like we're in the dry places. We feel like it's hard. See, when the COVID-19 mandates that are currently in place... Many Christians feel like they're in that low and difficult place, just like those kings and those king's men were. They feel dry. They feel empty. Many Christians have listened to the devil's lies. Well, it doesn't matter. Nothing is going to change. Can't do what I want, so I might as well throw in the towel. My dreams and my visions are never going to come to pass. With the cutbacks at work or in my business, I'll never get out of debt. And people start spiraling into these self-pitying places. Can't meet with my family. Can't meet with my children. How will my children ever get turned onto the path of Jesus if I'm not able to talk to them? But because of the turmoil our lives and the whole world is in, we end up becoming susceptible to the attacks of the, of the, attacks of the enemy and we end up getting locked into this place of self-pity where all we can say is, poor me, I'm not having what I want. I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not feeling. And we have missed what it was God said to do. Now there are times where we have to make up our mind that we're going to hold on to the promise of God and we're going to keep digging. It would have made no sense to those armies to start digging in the desert. There's no water in the desert. You can dig all the ditches you want. Go out to the Sahara and dig ditches. Unless God has given you the word, you're not going to have ditches full of water in the morning. It makes no sense. They're spending all of their energy digging ditches instead of turning around and heading home. Too many times we want to head back home when God is saying, I didn't call you out this far to go back. I called you to finish this race. I called you to go to the end. And yet we're saying, but God, it's too hard. I can't take it anymore. I give up, God. Oh, God, it's too difficult. And we forget that God has already said that there hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man, that God is faithful and will with every temptation make the way to escape. And so we start escaping, avoiding our responsibilities, and then can't figure out why God isn't moving like we want him to move. Then people start sharing about what God is doing. We get offended because God doesn't do that for me. Well, you haven't taken the steps God took, or the others took. Hmm. Now, I know it's hard work. I know it's difficult, and I also know it doesn't make sense half the time. But it seems that we have pushed and pushed and pushed, that we have held on, and we have believed, and yet nothing appears to be changing. It's time to keep digging. Keep praying. Keep praising. Keep speaking the word. Keep sowing. 
Keep going to church. And if you can't go physically, then keep going online. But stay connected with the body of believers. Don't separate yourself because one of the biggest attacks that Satan is ever going to use is to separate them from the body of believers. Why? Because you lose the strength when you are separated from the herd or from the pack. I showed a number of weeks ago the video about the buffalo and the buffalo mother with her little calf and how the wolves tried to separate her because at the moment they separate her and that little one from the rest of the herd, that little one is wolf food. But she managed to get back to the herd with her baby and they stayed safe. And yet Christians aren't smart enough to figure that out. We want to separate. Now, oh, Satan is attacking. The lion is like a roaring lion. The wolves are coming. What are we going to do? We're going to run. Run to the pack. Why? Because there is older saints in the church that have learned how to use their horns a little bit. There's older church saints in the church that can come and start praying against situations and start setting people free. Many times we have had reports where people have gone and said, you know, listen, this is a problem. Will you pray? And the church or members of the church begin to pray. And all of a sudden it's like it lifts and it breaks. And they go, what happened here? Family members that have been saved, businesses that have turned around, situations that opened up when they're being told there was no way to work. You know, we've had different testimonies, even this year, about how people have had breakthroughs. Now, that didn't mean that they had one breakthrough and now it was all easy. That means they had one breakthrough. That meant they're now ready for the next one. So you don't get to have your breakthrough and say, oh, we're done. It doesn't work that way. When you can handle little monkeys, you can handle bigger monkeys. And when you get the bigger monkeys, you get gorillas. But God doesn't start you on gorillas. He starts you on the little monkeys. The little ones with the long tail that are cute. And you sort of play with them, but you learn them. See, when we have had one breakthrough, that means we are now ready for the next. We're ready to advance. Oh, here I wanted to get into another level. New level, new devil. But guess what? We've been well equipped to handle them. We already know that Jesus has defeated the principalities and the powers, that he has placed them under his feet and that we are complete in him. We already know that. But I also know there's many times when I'll phone one of my friends, a pastor friend, or somebody that's been in the ministry longer, or somebody that's broke through, or I need to break it. We phone and we talk to him. We say, okay, we don't know what to do here. Doctors George and Hazel came out and we showed them what was going on and we says, okay, so what do you recommend? They says, buy the place next door. Okay, done. Bought and paid for. Why? This is because for you to go out and buy even 30 acres of land right now, your church can't afford it at the size it's at. Even 10 acres right now, because 10 acres of land sitting out there, you're not going to raise enough of a crop on those 10 acres to make the land payments. And until you can build the church or have money to build the church, you're paying for land without people. So buy the place next door. We bought the place next door. All of a sudden, the place next door is making a return. Ron shared at the annual meeting what the return was. I don't remember. Ron might remember. It's not an issue right now. 
but it's turning over money on a regular basis. Why? Because it's ready to move into, and somebody's saying, hey, we're glad we have a place to live. Wisdom. Take wisdom. There's another battle we're facing. We haven't finished that battle yet, but we took one step out of it. We don't know what the next step is going to be. We're going to take it when we get there. I'll tell you that. So we need to fight for the fellowship of the believers. We need to hear the word of God. Don't grow weary in well-doing. We know that the due season we will reap if we don't quit. And the if in there is one of those big qualifiers. You reap if you don't quit. The minute you throw up your hands, I'm done. There goes your crop. Wave goodbye. You just sold for somebody else because somebody will reap that. It just won't be you. See, our enemy thinks he's got us cornered. He thinks we're going to sit down in this dry place and cry because it's so hard. He thinks we're just going to give up and fall apart. But he's not counting on us digging a deeper ditch. <laughs> he's not counting us on digging until we see breakthrough. So we keep digging, and then as we dig, we keep praising the Lord. Create an atmosphere where God can come and fill up our ditches with whatever it is that we need. Dr dig long enough, and you might even have a well. So our praise will cause the yokes to break and our debt to wash away. Our praise will cause family problems and sicknesses to disappear. Our praise will call our, cause our children to inherit God's blessings. Start praising the Lord like as if you know that the doors of the opportunity have already been pushed wide open. The water is on the way. The joy is just around the corner. But we're going to have to start praising God for what he has already done and what he is continuously doing. Now, I want us to know something else about these three kings out in the desert. God not only told them that he would provide water, but he also promised, I am going to deliver these Moabites into your hands. You are going to tear up every city, and you are going to cut down every tree. In other words, God is not just going to fill up our ditches. He is going to give us the power to walk into the enemy's camp and take back everything that he has ever stolen that belongs to us. It wasn't just saying, okay, you're going to get the victory. You are going to destroy that king of Moabite, and you will take everything that he has already taken. I love the promises of God that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. I love the promise of God that says, you know, silver and the gold are mine, saith the Lord. That means it's God's. That means the sinners have been taking it and receiving it. When I hear about some of these sinners that are so filthy, stinking rich, they don't know where to turn next. I go, oh, yes, Lord, I'm ready for my harvest. <laughs> go, sinner, go. <laughs> See, the Bible says he gives the sinners travail to gather together and to heap up. But it says the righteous are going to inherit. Well, I'm righteous. I'm waiting for my inheritance. You know, in some places in my Bible, I have written down, this is, that's my harvest. That's my inheritance. Just to remind myself. 
If God gives them travail to go work, then hallelujah, let them go work. Don't get in their way. <laughs> to gather together and to heap up. But it says God is not going to let them enjoy it. It's going to the hands of the righteous. Do you know how many wealthy people don't enjoy their wealth? Because the more they get, the more they have to have before they can be happy. And all of a sudden, they're working and working and working, spending their whole life on something that means nothing. It's a joke with the guy showing up in heaven with a suitcase full of gold and St. Peter saying, oh, you brought pavement, how quaint. <laughs> That's just a joke if they don't really get to bring pavement to heaven. <clears throat> We're not going to die in the desert. It is a new season, and we're going to learn how to flourish in this season. If we're going to start digging some deep ditches for the blessings of God and praise him, he will bring us out of that low place. Now, this is our day. This is our hour. Whenever you are, it is you're facing, just keep digging that ditch a little deeper because God is going to meet your needs. Surround yourselves with people that can pray. Call in people to pray and say, hey, we need prayer. And then together, if one puts 1,000 to flight and two put 10,000 to flight, then let's start praying against those things and say, hey, it's time to break through now. 2020 is the year where I'm actually wondering if we're not going to be looking back one day and saying, man, that was the last good year there was. not what I say of the Lord. That's just saying this year, there is breakthroughs that are coming. There is breakthroughs that God has prepared for his people. And some of us have already experienced things that we never thought we were going to see. Now, will this happen immediately? Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes it is progressive walk, but you don't stop. You walk. You keep moving ahead. 38 some years ago, Pastor Jerry and I bought our first house. We took out a mortgage. Now, we were people of faith. We believed God, and we did what we could to get out of debt. We made our payments. We believed God that it was going to be paid off quickly. We believed God that we were going to be out of debt. We regularly thank God for his promises of financial freedom. We regularly quoted scriptures concerning his provision, his restoration. You know, the year that the locust has eaten, God will restore. The palmer worm and the canker worm, God will restore. We quoted that. We quoted the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. Blessed going in, blessed going out. Everything that we lay our hands to is blessed. He has blessed our basket. He has blessed our store. We quoted these scriptures day and night. Why? Because we kept them at the foremost part of our life. We just kept digging that ditch. After 15 years, we laid that mortgage to rest. It was ahead of schedule, but it was not as quickly as I had thought it should be. I had honestly gone into the plebeian within a year. It'll be paid off. When we discussed why it had taken so long, I believe it was Pastor Jerry that shared what she felt God had shown her. We were never laid on a payment. In fact, we made extra payments. 
We never missed a payment. We made extra payments. See, when you make extra payments, especially near the beginning of your thing, it's amazing. You could take like a five years off by making a relatively small extra payment. Why? Because now everything else comes off of your principal rather than off the interest. We were never late on a payment. We never missed a payment. It was us trusting God, praising and speaking his word that kept the money coming every month so that we could make the payment until it was paid off. You know, sometimes people look and they say, oh, well, if we're trusting God, it should all be paid off. If God is providing you, you're not late yet. Now, I know there's different teachers on teachings on prosperity that have different ideas, but as long as you have met your obligation, you don't owe them. Why? Because that was the contract. The minute you don't meet your obligation, now you owe money. Now you are actually coming to the borderline of saying, well, there's all sorts of things we won't go there right now. But if you're making your payments, they can't come after you, according to their agreement. So we kept trusting God. We kept making our payments every month. And one day it was paid off early. And I believe it was our faith that kept it or made it happen sooner than the original plan because we certainly didn't have tons of extra money that we could throw on our house. But we made wise choices. And then one day we were finished. One of the things we refused to do was go and remortgage all the time. Why? If we got some equity in the house, keep it. Now maybe you've been believing God for something and maybe you've been digging and digging and digging. And I want to tell you this morning, don't stop. God will supply what you need. Now, you may not see it tomorrow. See, our God is not the God that is bound by a 24-hour time period. Our God is the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he has said that he will strengthen you and give you the ability, it doesn't have to happen today. But you know you have his word and you know what's happening. And because you have his word, and because you know what's happening, because you keep believing it, because you keep praising him for the answer, one day you wake up and you realize, oh, it's happened. See, God will supply what you need, but don't stop. Now, it might not happen when or the way you think it will, but you can rest assured that as long as you keep digging, God will provide. As we're coming through this pandemic, I want to encourage you. You know, there is people that have lost their jobs because of it. There's businesses that have shut down. There's some horrible things that have happened. We know the government money is going to come to an end sooner or later for those that are counting on their payments. But we were never meant to put our trust in the government. We were meant to trust God. The Bible does not say, and the government shall supply all of your need according to its riches among all the peoples. What right. it does say is, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll make ways where there was no ways. He'll open doors that looked closed. He will send streams of glory through places that were dry and empty. 
Let your mouth praise him for his faithfulness. So, Father, I want to thank you this morning that you are faithful, that you watch over your word to perform it, that your word will not return to you void. I thank you, Father, that as we continue to dig those ditches, searching in your word, giving praise and thanksgiving to you, that you will cause those, those dry places to flood so that the desert will bloom with roses. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.